Hey everybody, this is Pastor Kyle here with Pastor Tammy. We're so excited to be podcasting once more. Right now on Wednesday and Sundays, we have a new series that's happening called Churches Thriving in a Post-COVID, Post-Christian World. And we are having some really interesting conversation in classes, but we realize that as COVID continues, um, we want to try to figure out a different way to make this available to you so that you can kind of follow along with what those in our classes are learning. And so we're making this available to you on this podcast. So it might be a good idea for us to begin just kind of talking about or, or thinking through what what post-Christian means, because that's familiar to Tammy and myself and, and others on staff here at Aniston First, but that might not be familiar to you, but it is kind of our new reality. So Tammy, can you talk a little bit about yes. what post-Christian is? I think... Almost everyone alive today and for a couple of generations back, we have thought of the United States as a Christian nation, not that we were governed by religious principles, but that the majority of the people in our country were of the Christian faith. We might be different denominations, Protestant, Catholic, all the different um, streams of Protestant Christianity, but we thought of ourselves as majority Christian, and for the first time, we now have more people who do not identify as Christian than we do identify as Christian. Right. And so and so part of, I think, what we're trying to get at in this study is how do we exist as a church in, mm-hmm. in a world that is increasingly less Christian than it was mm-hmm. um, for so many of us? Not only that, but when you factor in the COVID mm-hmm. um, reality that we have today, how do we navigate this? How do we continue to be faithful to God as the church um, when the church is in decline, or, or at least when Christendom, you know, this idea yes. of Christianity um, being the dominant um, religion in, in our culture, how do we exist with this in decline? It's also making a difference between cultural Christianity and those who are actively pursuing being a disciple of Jesus Christ. The church has for a long time been a center of civic operations as well, a center of social life, like your friends were there, it was where you went. I remember growing up that many restaurants and stores were not open on Sundays. You couldn't go out to eat, you didn't do other things, no teams practiced or played. And so if you didn't go to church on Sunday, not only would you miss the social things that happened with all the people who did, but what else would you do? That was one of the things that people said in, in the class Sunday um, when we were talking about cultural Christianity. And they were like, well, there, there was nothing else t- to, to do. Mm-hmm. You know, everything mm-hmm. was closed on Sunday. And if you weren't at church, then you really, you didn't, look, you looked pretty bad, actually. <laughs> exactly. There was some peer pressure to to be in church. And there was some advantages to it. It w- You could also network with people. It, it made you look better. Um, as a business owner, a business person, a salesperson, a politician, um, you wanted to be known as being a person who was in church because being a person who was known as not being would be detrimental. We've reached the point now, I don't think it necessarily impacts your business. People are not going to avoid shopping with you or not vote for you or not do business with you because you don't go to um, their church or a church. Yeah, and I think this has been the reality for um, places like the Northeast or mm-hmm. or folks in um, the West, Midwest, but it's really kind of hitting us mm-hmm. in the Southeast now, mm-hmm. um, and COVID has certainly expedited that in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, so it's 
It's an interesting mm-hmm. time to try to do ministry. We had yes. a had a previous minister come back to assist with a funeral, and he told me, he said, I'm so thankful I don't have to do ministry in our current mm-hmm. day and age, because it was so much easier for us to mm-hmm. do it in the 70s and the 80s and the, and mm-hmm. the 60s. Um, and I thought, I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me feel good or not. That's right. Um, we know that there were people who um, recognized that the, the attitude toward your need to be in church for social or cultural reasons had changed, but they were still doing it out of habit, like they were raised in church. They wanted to raise their children in church. This is just what you do. But COVID made a good opportunity for them to make a break with the church. When mm-hmm. they were home for a while, what they learned was if people can worship online for the most part, then nobody knows if you did go to church or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, because everybody's at home on the couch with their coffee and their PJs. Mm-hmm. Some went to church, some didn't. Um, online. And so they just kind of backed away. And there were people who said, I'm not a, a worse person for having not gone. Not busting so, the gates of hell wide mm-hmm. open by having not mm-hmm. gone. Maybe they've listened to a podcast mm-hmm. like this one, or mm-hmm. maybe they've watched a, another preacher who mm-hmm. can probably preach better than, mm-hmm. at least me, mm-hmm. maybe not better than you, but <laughs> um, you know, there's plenty of preachers that, that are Right. Much better than we are, or at least me. You know, well, you can watch are. all that. There's always going to be a more gifted speaker, a more gifted musician who is out there. There will also be a lot of um, preachers and musicians who aren't having to do other things. Like they don't work and do music at their church. They don't also have to do other aspects of pastoring. Preaching may be their primary responsibility in the church that they're in. And if you can dedicate 30 hours a week to prepare oh, a sermon, Gosh, what would that then look it's like? a very different thing than having all the other responsibilities. Being I, an administrator, doing pastoral care, right. <laughs> preaching, being the executive mm-hmm. of a major nonprofit. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you have to juggle all those things, yeah. something falls by the wayside. Something has to give because there's only give, the same Usually it's our family, yeah. right? So. My personal experience and discovered that there were a lot of other ministers on some of the social platforms like Facebook and particularly Twitter for me, um, that noticed the people who stayed connected to their church during COVID versus the ones who didn't. If they came to church because they liked the preacher or they liked the music or because it was the popular place to be, then when COVID hit, they weren't in a hurry to come back. And many of those have not come back. And we're being told many of them will not come come back. back. Mm -hmm. But if people had developed a community, if their either their church or their small segment of the church in which they were involved had become a community that supported one another, prayed for one another, touched in with one another, then they were anxious to get back with their people. You know, I, I want to go back to my Sunday school class. My small group wants to meet. I miss being able to do this activity or be involved in that. Mm-hmm. So it reminded us that church is not primarily a place we go to watch something, like to watch a worship service happen. We don't just attend. Church is about relationships, relationship with God and relationship with one another. Right. It's about being connected. Mm-hmm. So all of that is being clarified and sifted through what's happening in our world today. And that's all kind of what we mean when we say post-Christian. Mm-hmm. That now you really have to be intentional. You have to intentionally say, I'm going to go to worship 
I'm going to go to small group Sunday school or Bible study. I'm going to be intentional about volunteering in this ministry. I'm going to be intentional about my faith. Mm-hmm. And so, so we have this reality of living, being in a post-Christian world mm-hmm. um, where the, the culture around us mm-hmm. is not necessarily like we are. Mm-hmm. We have the factor of Christianity that has been on decline since 1952. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we factor in COVID, um, and it's like, what, what can we do mm-hmm. to not just die? What can churches do not to completely mm-hmm. erode away? Yes. So let's talk about a couple of you you brushed on one of the facts a while ago, which was that church attendance in the United States peaked in 1952. So since 1952, all the way up to 2022, church attendance has been on the decline. And that is true across denominations, um, across regions of the country. Um, we've been on a decline. It used to be that when people considered themselves to be active and involved in a local community of faith, it meant that they attended three out of four Sundays a year. So they missed about 10 to 12 Sundays a year out of 52. Now, someone who attends church once out of every six weeks will call themselves an active member or an active participant of a church because they may have to work a couple of those Sundays. They may go visit kids, grandkids. They may go to a lake house or a beach house. Their kids may have traveling ball that come in. And so if they're, if they manage to make it once every six weeks, they have remained active in that church. So even the metrics by which people are measuring their participation in church is different. Meanwhile, on the church side, we still have tended to measure um, use the same metrics that we did in the past, which is we tend to track average worship attendance. Um, we tend to measure membership, professions of faith, baptisms, mm-hmm. um, and removal. So um, while culture moved, we didn't necessarily move, and so it has it has really made the gap apparent. Mm-hmm. So as we talk about um, what how a church can thrive in a post Christian world. Um, we're using a couple of books to guide us. Um, one is called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Um, that's kind of a... That's really provocative. It is. It's an in-your-face kind of title. Um, the subtitle is 12 Ways to Keep Yours Alive. In there. So the, the point, and the book is written by Tom Rayner, um, who was the former president of um, Lifeway Christian Resources and now has an organization called Church Answers where he does consulting with helping churches do this. But this was his book that was born out of his consulting with churches. But he took a look at churches that had died, and he found a number of common characteristics among those that closed. We do have an enormous number of churches that close every single year and every single week, actually, in the United States. We're also using another book of his um, called Anatomy of a Revived Church. That's much more hopeful sounding. Yes. Seven Findings of How Congregations Avoided Death. So what happened was he wrote the book, Autopsy of a Deceased Church, and many of us read it. We were horrified, perplexed, depressed, concerned. We, we had a reaction, and some of the churches said, he's describing us, like we recognize ourselves in the chapters of the book. 
And they said, we want to do something different. So they took the advice in the back of the book. They began to really dig into it. Maybe they worked with him. They worked with somebody else. But they managed to turn it around and become a thriving, healthy church. So he went back to those churches and said, what did you do? And he found seven things in common for the ones that managed to turn it around. All right. Well, so what are what are the first um, the first two that signs of a deceased church that that he found? Okay. So the um, first one that he identifies he calls slow erosion, and the second one he identifies he calls the past is the hero. Um, so when he talks about slow erosion, he's talking about changes that happen gently over a long period of time. It becomes easy to not notice them. Um, two examples that immediately come to my mind are the way that weight can creep up on us. Um, you gain, you know, a pound after Thanksgiving. You know, well, I mean, it's just a pound. You might gain another pound or two between Christmas and New Year's. and Or maybe you gain a pound a year for 20 years. You don't really notice it. And the people closest to you don't notice it because it's not a dramatic change. You'll eventually notice it in your clothes. But the people who notice it would be like if you go to a high school reunion. Oh, <laughs> oh. They will notice, or yep. you pull out pictures and it's like, oh my gosh, there's a dramatic difference between what I look like now and what I look like then. Um, the other example that comes to my mind is if you um, go house hunting, because we bought a house when we came to Anniston and we looked at an awful lot of houses. It's a very interesting thing to, to house hunt in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, it is. But People who have lived in a house for a long period of time don't notice the changes, the change in styles, the way the paint gets a little scratched, the the doors get a little dinged, the carpet gets a little older. Um, but you come in to look at that house and you're like, oh, my gosh, we're stuck in the 80s or the uh-huh. 60s or that kitchen's in the 40s. Yeah, my grandmother had a uh, side note. My grandmother mm-hmm. had a room that was they had she every room in her house was in a different decade because mm-hmm. she had enough, enough money <laughs> to to remodel that particular mm-hmm. room. And so as you walked through her house, you're like, "Oh, okay, we're in the 70s mm-hmm. now. There's there's the crushed velvet lime green mm-hmm. uh, sofa." And then you walk up the stairs and there's the plum-colored carpet mm-hmm. from I don't know what era, but it was pretty bad. But uh-huh. we don't notice the we don't notice mm-hmm. these things that are around us all the time. And particularly when it's our home or our grandparents' home, it's actually comforting because that's our space. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's supposed to look. It's familiar. We like familiarity. We like familiar. The same thing happens in churches that like happens in homes because some of those rooms are more painful than others to make over. If you're sitting on the couch and the couch has now become uncomfortable because the cushions have gotten worn out and the springs are breaking down, you have more impetus to want a new sofa. And then you notice that the recliner looks old, too, and needs to go. Mm -hmm. Or you go visit somebody, and they have a brand-new high-definition TV, and you go home to your 36-inch box TV, Mm -hmm. and you think, hmm, i got to get me one of those. Mm -hmm. If you're remodeling a house, bathrooms and kitchens are the most painful to redo. Most expensive. They're expensive. They're complicated. They tend to need professionals to help. And we tend to not want to go without them for a while. So because of the pain, we just continue to live with it Mm -hmm. a little bit. The same thing happens in churches. There's a slow erosion. If we lose a few members this year, 
we don't tend to notice it, particularly if we're still having some new members. Mm -hmm. So we might have lost 10 members, but we gained six, Mm -hmm. you know, or we might have lost 25 members, but we gained 10. And so we, first of all, comfort ourselves Mm -hmm. with the numbers, but we don't notice the pain. It's still incrementally incrementally declining. Yes. Little by little. Which is why, because I've said before that I'm a statistics person. I move by numbers, Mm -hmm. and I realize not everybody is, so sometimes I get to throwing out numbers, and I can watch eyes glaze over, and I have to go, okay, dial dial it back every now and then. Okay. I, I think you are a respecter of numbers. Yeah. So you tolerate some of my numbers, but there is a point in which you're like, okay, that's enough. A lot of numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but that is why it's important that we keep numbers and that we have points in time where we stop and look at those numbers. Because they tell a story. They do. You know, it may it may be difficult to determine what that story mm-hmm. is, and so you might have mm-hmm. to dive deeply into the numbers, mm-hmm. but it, it does tell a story. Mm-hmm. Population um, trends tell a story, mm-hmm. um, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And primarily, um, Tom Rainer in the book is talking about participation at the church. But the erosion also happens with the building and mm-hmm. with the budget. So that's, those are other numbers. We notice if there's a fire or a tornado or something catastrophic like that. What we don't tend to notice is that that room hasn't been painted in 10 years or there was the water stain that we fixed the leak, but we've never repaired, never the, repaired stain. the stain. Yeah. Or on the table in the hall might be Sunday school books that go back two years because we hated to throw them away, but we're not using them anymore. So they're just sitting there till we find something to do with them. And we don't see that the same way as the new person does who walks in. That's correct. We have a kind of have a, in some ways, a sense of nostalgia about some of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. the way the the um, the entryway is mm-hmm. maybe decorated, mm-hmm. or um, who who donated what particular furniture, mm-hmm. which is meaningful to us, but mm-hmm. maybe other people don't have that sort of appreciation, and maybe we don't even tell the story of those people. Um, mm-hmm. who that piece of furniture is named right. in well enough for people to even care. Mm-hmm. Um, and we often cloak that in the idea that we're being good stewards of the resources that we have um, because that chair still works, that table still works, that that room still functions, and we haven't noticed the erosion. So I think there's a good um, balance between those two you can't chase trends and always be on the leading edge of being trendy. I mean, we know that even with fashion in our own homes, that if we always had to be on the leading edge and start over with every new season, that's wasteful, um, mm-hmm. that you can't do that. But you have to find the right mix to that. We also overlook stuff. When we were preparing to start this study, and I'm doing notes for the class on this chapter, I stopped and looked up as somebody walked into my office, and it caught my attention that I have stuff in my office that has been sitting there for a while that I don't see anymore. Stop. Don't say that. Stop <laughs> it. You're going to make me feel um, bad about my own office. It's January now, and my Christmas decorations for my office are still sitting behind my love seat. Um, but that actually is where they sat for the majority of last year. And there is a water container that we carried ice in when I did dinner for the youth, and that was before Christmas, and it's still sitting on my counter. It's because we're busy. It is. We have stuff, you know. And the same thing is true of churches. We pass through the space. We're on our way to Sunday school, or we're on our way to worship, or we're on our way to the activity, mm-hmm. and we don't stop to clean out. 
and there's so much going on in, in the rest of our lives, we never come back to have a work day. When do we schedule that? When do we yep. focus on that? And how do we pay for it? So all that becomes. Um, we also don't often notice like style of worship, songs we do, those kinds of things that newer people are looking at as well. So that can become an erosion. We get stuck in a um, a pattern mm-hmm. of doing things that's comfortable for us. And if if that is not reaching new people. Now, I've become fairly notorious around here for saying lots of things help people nurture their faith. And I'm not invested in trying to take away from someone what nurtures their faith. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with liking it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with keeping it Mm -hmm. as long as we are always being cognizant of how that affects our ability to make disciples. Okay, so this gets to the question Mm -hmm. of what that I was about to I was about to ask. So why what implication does the slow erosion Mm -hmm. have on the decline of the church? When people are looking to become part of a community of faith They are not, if you're going to go on a cruise, you are not going to get on the boat. You're not intentionally going to book a passage on a ship that you're not sure can make the journey, that you're afraid may sink. I don't know that anyone should be booking a cruise right now. Yes, that's but, true. Um, but you're right. Yeah, you I don't was invited wanna, on one just recently. <laughs> you don't want to do that. I got the flyer for it, and it's in April of this year, and I thought, I'm, Absolutely I'm not getting not. on a little floating Petri dish in April. No. It's a good idea, but not yet. So if the boat doesn't look nice, you're not going to get on it. Right. Because if it you, can't move, you're not going to get on it. You don't want to go down with the ship. You want something living. You you need to know that this cruise is not going to be a disaster. It's not going to be a three-hour cruise you never get to come back from like Gilligan's Island. I was about to say that sounds like a show <laughs> before my time. but yeah. So those kinds of things will cause people to visit and never come back. They won't come back and visit a second time. It will also have people being able to be lured away to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Their their children who are teenagers visit another youth group, and they really liked it, and they want to go back. Mm-hmm. And so then they go to church on Sunday, and the parents go with them, and now right. they get pulled into that. So it can have that. And we have to keep in front of ourselves always that the church exists, one, to worship and glorify God. That's part of that's supposed to be part of everything that we do. And there's many ways that we can do that, there as really we've are. noted. Mm-hmm. Um, But we are supposed to be making disciples and maturing disciples. So there are people who are not yet Christian, who don't have a connection with God through Jesus Christ, and we're supposed to be sharing that good news, the hope that we find in Jesus with the world, making new disciples. We're also supposed to be maturing the disciples we have, um, because discipleship, being a Christian, is a journey of continual growing throughout our lives. And we have to hold those in tension. There are some churches that seem really good at making disciples. They're really good at the new, Mm -hmm. but their discipleship stays shallow at that point. Like it all, it stays. It's like there's a parable Mm -hmm. about that, about seed that's sown like on Mm -hmm. the path or something. Mm -hmm. And And if it doesn't become Mm -hmm. deep, it's Mm -hmm. too easily uprooted. On the other hand, a lot of churches become only focused on the members they have and never any conversation of maybe we should do this so we can reach new people get shut down by 
but we don't like that. Mm-hmm. And what about us? Right. And and we just got through talking not 20 minutes ago about how mm-hmm. the amount of new people that there are to reach has grown exponentially mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the last several years. So the um what is it the, what is the saying the the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few? Yes. Like, yeah. The fields are wide unto harvest, yeah. but the laborers are few. That was what Jesus said. Yeah. He looked out at the world and I I believe he would he would say the same thing. Yeah. To us. There's today. a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. to reach new people. Mm-hmm. And I I don't think a church is healthy and stable unless it is intentionally trying to do both of those things mm-hmm. to make and mature disciples. That's what I hear in the Great Commission in Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through twenty, is go and make disciples of all the world. I'm baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them oh, yeah. to obey everything that I've commanded you and that Jesus is with us. The other thing that becomes part of the slow erosion is we confuse keeping our members happy with maturing them as disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the same way that what a toddler wants all the time is not necessarily what's in their best interest. What a person who belongs to a church wants may not be what is the most mature, God-glorifying thing. Right. Um, so there has to be that back and forth. And that doesn't mean that just because a member disagrees with an idea or disagrees with the pastor or the pastor's idea that they're wrong or that they're being immature. It's just everybody needs to stop and say, why are we wanting this? Why are we doing this? Why are we not doing this? And what are we willing to do to be a healthier church? At the end of each chapter, there are some questions that get asked. And in the chapter about um, slow erosion, the questions are, what was your church like 20 years ago versus today? Um, Talk with some others and get an, an honest assessment. And do you see signs of gradual erosion? Are we neglecting the building? Um, and then what do you, the, it points us to the book of Haggai, um, where the exiles from Babylon are coming back. And the prophet says, hey, you're, you're too worried about building your own houses and you're not building the house of God. Right, the temple. Um, and I would think that at that time, of course, the people had to have somewhere to live. They had to have shelter. It's not that building their houses were wrong. It's just they also needed to be building the house of worship. And for us, that's not just about the building. It's about our community of faith. Right. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to do well in your career, with wanting to vacation. There's nothing inherently wrong about wanting a beach house or a lake house or your child to play on the traveling ball team or to occasionally have a day you get to sleep in and drink extra cups of coffee and stay in your pajamas all day. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with any of those, but it's about what's our intention, what's our priorities, and what is the most needful thing now, mm-hmm. this time. So slow erosion becomes one of the factors that um, lead to a church dying if they're not careful. Well, wonderful. We had planned to talk about <laughs> two, but but let's save the second one for next week. I think that's a good idea. Um, and, and let's leave it here. And so next week we will talk about what how um, looking to the past as, as the mm-hmm. hero um, and how and how that contributes to um, our decline. It's been a blessing to be with mm-hmm. you and to begin this journey with you, and I hope you will um, tune in next week to um, continue journeying with us.